0: Slim Aaron's was an American photographer, known for his work capturing a golden age of wealth, privilege and beauty, his images becoming representative of a time of hope and opportunity as the world recovered from war and moved into the latter part of the last century. Looking at his work with a unique perspective is Sean Waldron who looks after the Slim Aaron Archive at Getty Images. Author of the book Slim Aaron's Style, he has immersed himself in the work of this iconic photographer. This is Art Related Noise. We started experimenting with painting. There's so many avenues of art.
1: We're surrounded by images. Just being
0: lost in this sea of possibility. I'm announcing that I was going to be an artist. It brings the work I do alive even more. They could be part of this work as well. Everyone's got their own personal connection to something. Hello and welcome to Art Related Noise, the podcast of Enter Gallery in Brighton. My name is Stuart Holdsworth from Inspiring City, uh, the blog, and I'm with Sean Waldron. Hi Sean, how are you doing? Very good, thanks for having me. Now we're we're going to be talking about the Slim Aarons archive today the photography archive you know slim aarons is a is a photographer sadly he's no longer with us but he was you know he's uh, you know he's he's, he's lived throughout the the, the the you know the majority of the last century and and he's he's taken some amazing pictures and those pictures are, are sort of really popular sellers at, at, at enter gallery really they're quite iconic aren't they really how did you get involved with the slim aarons uh, archive how, how did that all come about
1: so I, I'm trained as a photo archivist. I've been in the in the business for about 20 years at this point. Um, so I've been with Getty Images for the last five, uh, and that's who uh, owns Slim's Archive. They bought the archive actually directly from Slim back in 1997, so they've had it for quite some time. And I, about three years ago, took over the sort of da- the daily management uh, of Slim's Archive.
0: How did that come about? What, what, what was the what was the reason why Getty bought it in the first place? And what was the, what was the attraction to, to that? Because it was Mark Getty himself, I think, that bought bought the archive. He just really loved the work.
1: Yeah, it's, it's correct. So Slim retired, uh, as it were, in, in the early 90s, uh, and he had his entire archive at home. He lived in a, in a house in just north of New York City uh, in Westchester County, uh, an old farmhouse. He had it all kind of tucked away in his attic, and it was just kind of sitting there. And Mark Getty, he started Getty Images in 95, so and then he bought it in 97. So the company was still pretty pretty young at that point. Um, you know, you're just at the point where you were actually selling images online. You know, it was all still pretty new. And Mark was given a sort of hot tip by uh, a, a dealer that's in London uh, named Michael Hoppen, who said, you know, there's this guy, Slim is, has this amazing archive, It's sitting at his house in New York. Uh, He's not really doing much with it. It's an incredible uh, history of the last 40 years, uh, social history and cultural history. And you really should talk to him. And so Mark just showed up at Slim's house, sort of cold. Slim tells a joke that Mark was not, he was dressed sort of casually. He was wearing what he called a slim uh, windbreaker. And so he said, I, I thought he was the gardener. So I told him where the lawnmower was. But then Mark said, No, 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 I'm here to talk to you about your archive. Uh, and so they spent a few hours together going to the archive and over a handshake deal, Mark bought the archive. I didn't realize it
0: was so early in, you know, Getty Images, you know, development, because when you think of Getty Images now, you see, you know, it's, it's all over the place, really, you go on onto Google, and you're looking for an image. And usually, it's there's often watermarked with a, Get- with a getty site but was this like one of the sort of formative stages you see you know acquiring this a- archive to to sort of shaping what i don't know Get- getty became really?
1: yeah it really was uh, you know i mean when the company started they didn't have the archives that they do now for certain and so this was one of the very early sort of acquisitions for the company along with you know the halton archive which they acquired around the same time and now they've we've acquired many archives over the years but this really was one of the sort of uh, foundational acquisitions in terms of getty's uh, archive so
0: i' interested to, to know more about this because it seems fascinating that all these pictures should be you know in the, in the attic if
1: you know where where was it by the way where, where did um, where did
0: slim live where was where in america
1: was it so um it's it's in New York uh, it's in Westchester county north of New York City it was a, it's a town called Bedford and slim uh, and his wife actually bought the house in 1953 they went they were looking to get out of New York they were newlyweds at the time uh, they didn't want to they wanted to set up a family and the sort of the classic story so they went and looked out in the um, in the suburbs and they were both working at life magazine they had met through life magazine and um, one of their, colleagues at Life, their mother had just gotten their real estate license. uh, and was going to start selling houses up in in Bedford. And so they were sort of the guinea pig. They were her first uh, client. And they uh, took the train up from New York. She met him at the train station, drove him to this house. It was the first house they looked at. They pulled in the driveway, hadn't even set foot inside. And Slim said, we'll take it. And uh, they ended up buying the house right then and there. they They didn't have much money. Uh, You know, photography isn't the most lucrative career, especially being a a journalist. And um, so they borrowed half the money. It was $25,000 for the house. They borrowed $12,500 of it from their colleagues at Life for the down payment and uh, bought the house. And Slim lived there until he died in 2006.
0: And he just kept the archive just just in it. So he'd take all his pictures. I mean, how would he? How would he would he would he, would he sort of just like develop them, and the, so the archive then becomes just the the print, the you know the photographic print, or would it? Would he be storing the you know the ne- the negatives as well? And did he just take them and, and store them? Is that what he did? did what?
1: Yeah. Did so there, there's actually not that many prints. He didn't make many prints when he was alive. You know, he would go on these shoots sometimes for a few days. Sometimes he'd be gone for weeks at a time. And then all the film would get sent off to a lab, was all developed. And most of it was, it was either black and white uh, film in the early days, but by the time the late forties or into the fifties, he was pretty much shooting in color exclusively. So on, they're all 35 millimeter color slides for the most part. Um, and so that film would be developed. He would do an edit. He would send it off to, you know, if he was shooting for a magazine uh, or whoever the client was. And then because he was always shooting for someone, everything he did throughout his whole life was always on assignment. Um, He was not just going out and shooting things for his own enjoyment um, or to create fine art or something like that. I mean, it really this was working jobs and and assignments for magazines typically. And so he would do an edit, send it off to the magazine. Um, The editors there would pick the pictures that they wanted to use. But I mean, he would shoot hundreds and hundreds of pictures on every assignment and then they'd run eight you know. (laughs) So everything that was left over became the archive. Eventually, whatever was published often would make its way back, you know, um, and he would put it in with the rest. But for the most part, this work was all just filed away in different boxes, usually either by personality or by the location of where the shoot was, and then put away in boxes. And so then he just tucked those away in his attic uh, of his house. Uh, So they sat there, you know, through years of cold winters and hot summers and, uh, you know, organized and grew and grew and grew. And then that's what he and Mark ended up going through and looking at, at that day back in
0: 97. Gosh. And, and, and do you think, do you th- I mean, so for him, he was, a, he was a jobbing photographer. Then he's it's what I hear you say, you know, he's on assignment, he's working for magazines and he's, so he's doing that. That was his core job. Do you think, do you think Slim ever had the intention of, of using his work to then sell in, say, like galleries, like for example, in Enter Gallery, in in Brighton, there's a lot of Slim's work. You know, they're really, right. really popular. Uh, was that ever on his mind that that was going to be a thing? Do you think?
1: No, and and part of that is because that wasn't really a thing, you know, then, I mean, photography as fine art uh, really didn't come about until the later seventies is really when you start to get the first sort of photo galleries that pop up around the world, you know, one in New York, maybe one in London. Um, But it's not really until decades later. And when Slim was towards the end of his career, where that was really even an option that people would think of of photography as, as fine art and be buying prints. So it's relatively a new phenomenon i mean it's decades old at this point but you know through slim's life that really wasn't even an option and he was so busy running from assignment to assignment and you know and and he was making a decent living and you know having a good life and so he he wasn't even really thinking that way towards the end he made a few prints here and there or he would make prints for people or but it was really after getty bought it um and had the facilities, had a dark room, had the ability to print. So then we worked with him in the early days when he was still alive about producing limited editions. He would sign some of the, of the prints uh, when he was still alive and things like that. So it wasn't until much later and really that Getty got involved that we had all the facilities and the ability to be able to do that. And, and also just the market existed. You know, there really wasn't a market for this material beforehand
0: let's learn a bit more around about slim then i think he, i mean what, what an interesting what an interesting comment i think he started i think he started in his photography career as a combat photographer is is that right can you give us a flavor of who who slim was
1: yeah sure i mean it's sort of you know and it's interesting to think about the truth of who slim was because in a lot of ways he sort of hid some of that um during his life when he was alive but he was born here in new york city on the Lower East Side. Uh, in a tenement. Um, his his parents were uh, Lithuanian immigrants. He grew up speaking Yiddish. He was Jewish. But at a very young age, he was separated from his parents. Uh, he essentially became an orphan, was passed around to, to family members, grew up relatively poor. In 1939, uh, at the age of 23, he joined the U.S. military. He joined the army. Um, And this is even before the war had broken out. So for him, joining the the military was a way to get out of poverty and maybe see a little bit of the world and and have a life, you know. So it's a sort of classic uh, American reinvention story. Uh, You know, I mean, he became this this character of Slim. His name was George. uh, uh, When he was born, he was George Ahrens. But he was very tall and, and thin. So he became Slim was his nickname. And he you know, eventually grew into accept and adapt that persona of becoming Slim Aarons. So um, he started out sort of in the U.S. Army as what they call a dip and dunk person. (laughs) So he basically worked in the lab developing the film in the early days, but eventually became a photographer. He was sent to West Point, the, the military academy. And it was there that he met Frank Capra, the Hollywood director. By this point, the war had broken out. And Capra was producing propaganda films for the U.S. government and um, asked Slim if he wanted to be involved with something called the Yank magazine, which was a new magazine that they were starting. That was a weekly news, a picture magazine, almost like life, uh, as it were, but specifically created by soldiers for soldiers. It was done by enlisted men uh, and they were going to record the war and also record what it was like to be the daily life of a soldier in the war. And so Slim was said yes, absolutely. So he was sent to London for a while, did some training there, and then went was first was sent to North Africa, uh, where he started to see action, and then he ended up in Italy, where he saw some very heavy fighting at Anzio and Monte Cassino. He was awarded a Purple Heart. Uh, he was part of a, a German bombardment uh, and was injured, uh, and had some really uh, near death experiences and some harrowing experiences. That were very formative for him and sort of made him decide that being a combat photographer was not the way he wanted to go. Uh, and he pivoted pretty quickly to the, the whole other direction and decided to, to photograph the good life, as it were, and in, in the beautiful people. I, I'd heard of that
0: story as well, you know, going from combat photography to what he's now known for, which is luxury, isn't it? If you look at Slim aaron's work it's luxury it's pool sides it's it's riding horses in in the dusk you know it's uh, tuscan scenes and and you know eating on on vistas with beautiful seaside views and panoramic views around it's it just says a lot about a particular sense of life
1: yeah absolutely i mean he, he's You know, there's a few sort of funny quotes where uh, after the war, when the whole Korean conflict came up, you know, the war department came to him and said, hey, you know, would you like to go to Korea and cover that? And, you know, his response was the only beach I want to land on is going to have beautiful girls in bikinis. You know, I mean, he was like those experiences, uh, especially in Italy, really scared him, uh, you know, and showed him sort of how valuable and how fragile life really can be. Um, And so. It, his mantra of attractive people and attract doing attractive things in attractive places, I mean, that became sort of his his mantra, and that's what he wanted to to photograph. So and that was directly tied to his experiences during the war. And that became his beat for forty years. I mean, that's that is what he photographed
0: and and you know the whole hollywood set i mean he's known for his sort of, you know celebrity type photographs as well wasn't he so again capturing hollywood at, at a particular time you know when it was seen as this you know coming out of the war when you look back in that period of time it's quite of a, I don't know, a sexy period is that what is the right thing when the 50s and you have got cool guys and sort of beautiful women and sort of doing great things and the movie industry is becoming really it's booming It's booming. Hollywood is booming. And it's just it's giving a a sense of a different side, a a different possibility of life.
1: Yeah. I mean, after when he came back to the States um, in 47, he and a friend uh, who he had met during the war, a cartoonist called Bill Baldwin, they they went out to uh, Hollywood. And, you know, it was a much smaller world then, uh, you know, right after the war. And he had made so many connections during the war. Um, And met, you know, like Frank Capra and other Hollywood directors and things that were helping the war effort actors and actresses who came traveling through performing for the troops and so he was began knocking doors at MGM and the big studios trying to get some work and hustle you know he, he was a freelancer throughout his life all this work that he did in magazine works and things. He always uh, stayed freelance and independent. He was never a staff photographer anywhere, which is why we have his archives now because he, he retained uh, the rights to it, but he fell in with, with the Hollywood crowd there. And just because he's, he was quite charming and he had those movie star looks certainly tall and thin. And so directors loved him. They he joked they were always trying to cast him in in their movies and Then in 48, Life Magazine sent him to to Rome because they were reopening their bureau there. And that's really when the Italian cinema uh, world was coming back and he got heavily involved um, and saw all the pictures and things that were being produced there. And he was kind of life's man on the street and man on the ground, as it were. Um, And so, again, he was meeting all these Hollywood celebrities and things that were filming all their movies. So in 48, 49. And there was a lot of Hollywood production that happened uh, in in Italy uh, at that time. So it it was just one connection after another, opened other doors, opened other doors. And it just kind of steamrolled and and really built up. So by the early 50s, he was pretty established uh, in terms of the Hollywood uh, set. And then he started shooting more of the society stories. In falling in with New York society and meeting people there, there so um, that was kind of the next sort of big group of people that that he became involved with.
0: And am I, am I right in thinking that a lot of his photography as well? So I mean, you can imagine. I think some of the ones that I'm thinking in your mind are the ones when you talk about society. You know, there's a pool, there's a beautiful, you know, mansion. There's people around the pool. These weren't set up. He's he. This sort of like reportage photography, really. He's, he was so he's taking the images of of it as it's happened so there's no makeup there's no necessary lighting but he was just capturing it's about capturing the moment in time
1: yeah correct he very much you know considered himself a photojournalist and that was always his approach um oftentimes it was just him or he may have one assistant later on uh there's no stylist involved you know it's about showing people as they were and, you know, there's not a lot of pretense uh, in the imagery. As you say, he would tend to go wide. Uh, and that was, he learned, um, he worked at Holiday Magazine and there was a, a photo director there, a guy called Frank Zachary, who was one of Slim's great friends uh, throughout his life. Frank was, was, a, was a talented art director, was worked in the New York media world for, for decades. Um, but he came up in the early 50s with this idea of the environmental portrait. So Slim was doing it, Arnold Newman, uh, who was uh, worked with Slim at, at Holiday and other photographers. It was meant to be sort of the antidote to like a fashion portrait that you would see in Vogue or Harper's Bazaar, which is very set up, contrived in a studio, very controlled lighting and all that with stylists and hairdo and makeup and everything involved. So... Their idea in Holiday to differentiate it from these other magazines was let's let's show people where they live, where they go out to dinner, you know, where they go on vacation. Uh, so show not only who they are, but where they live, how they dress, the cars that they drive, the things that they collect, their horses or dogs or, you know, the things that they surround themselves with and their entire picture about who they are as people. And so Slim really understood that and to him, that was a perfect way of shooting because he was such a people person. Uh, he loved to have that connection, but he also was not a sycophant, you know? I mean, he he was not falling over himself. If he was not afraid to tell someone, you know, you, you got to get the gardener in here. Your grass looks a little rough, you know? I mean, <laughs> so he he was a real straight shooter in that way. So, uh, which actually got him respect, I think, from a lot of the, of the people that he photographed.
0: When he's going into these, these places to shoot, was he, did he spend a long time there? Was he, did he sort of have to build relationships with the people around him so that they would feel comfortable with him just being able to be around and take their, record their life, really? That's what he was doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting because, you know, early on, I mean, he was, his title when he was at Town & Country was roving editor and that's a really apt description because he was just constantly going from one place to the next, it seemed, um, and photographing. So Oftentimes, you know, and back then the, the editorial model was a little bit different. Magazine budgets were much bigger than they are these days. And so he had the luxury of going somewhere for a week or two weeks, you know, to photograph. And oftentimes he would get there and drop off his gear at the hotel and just spend two or three days kind of walking around, uh, not even bringing his camera out, just scoping it out trying to find the best locations, hanging out, you know, in restaurants, talking to the maitre d', going, you know, talking to the concierges in the hotel and say, what's happening? Who's here? Who's in town? Is there a big event? You know, think so. He would do a lot of sort of recon uh, for a day or two to kind of get a sense of what's what. And then he would have his list, you know, and, and obviously his editor would send him with a punch list of things that they needed to do. But um, he was finding a lot of that himself and just, finding out who was there and who were the people that he should should photograph you know so he you know it wasn't like nowadays where you can just hop on the internet and do all this research or something you know i mean he was really sort of figuring it out as he went now as decades went on and he was going back and shooting the same places over again then obviously he had those relationships that he had built up so he could gain access to places but a lot of it was really just trusting his gut which is kind of amazing
0: you know, just walking the scene, you know, I, I can I can
1: imagine right. him now, you know,
0: back, you know, back in the day, just getting, you know, putting his stuff down, just wandering around, just seeing what catches the eye, seeing right, merges, and then sort of, I can, ima- you know, I can maybe get a sense of what, he, what he's what it's like, you know, so it's just stating in his mind, he's thinking, yeah, okay, this might be a good shot, this might, and then he spends a bit of time thinking about it. And then boom, you know, it's there, it's visual, he's got it in his mind, right? And he, he knows what he wants.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, even his archive, he would be really good about when he would go somewhere, he would kind of gather up all this material, right? So basically ephemera. And when he came back from a trip, it would all go in an envelope and that those envelopes are still sitting in boxes and now in the archive at Getty, right? So you can say, all right, he was in, he was in Cannes, right? In the 50s, right? So you go and you look in that, in that envelope, and you're going to find business cards, you're going to find some call slips from the hotel so such and such call, uh, you're going to see maybe a, a brochure from some festival that was going on at the time, you know, and he circled some names or things like that. So he was gathering up all this kind of material. So you can kind of retrace his steps as he was going to different locations and who he was talking to, you know, and most of the time, I mean, it's not a name that it's not famous people, you know, I mean, Slims people, he counted very much on the, the people on the ground, you know, the hotel managers and, and things like that, because they're the ones who were going to tip them off. Right.
0: Those are people you need to get to know, right? That if, you, if you're going to do this, you're going to find out where people are, what they hang out. You want to get friendly with the, you know, the, the bus boy or the, the guy, at the maitre d' or, or, or people like that, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones with the tips. Yeah. So all the best photographers, you know, knew, know who to ask for the hot tips. So and, and Slim was no different for sure. I mean, there was no you know, you're not dealing with publicists in the 50s, you know, I mean, that that didn't really exist, only for the biggest names. And I suppose, as a curator
0: of the archive, for yourself personally, I think you've also written a book, I think, as well, if I'm not mistaken, about about his work.
1: Yes, so Slim Aaron Style, it's called, uh, and it just came out in in 2021. So that's actually specifically talks about, this is the first time this issue has been sort of, and the subject has been explored in terms of Slim, but the way that his pictures are about lifestyle, even though that was never the intention, you know, and and he always says, I'm not a fashion photographer. I didn't do fashion photography. I took pictures of people in their real clothes and that became the fashion, right? So, but it goes back to what we were talking about earlier and that actually Slim did a little bit of fashion photography in the early fifties. And frankly, he wasn't that good at it. I mean, it was, it left him a little cold, you know, I mean, it was good. You know, photography in terms of like it showed you what the clothes look like, which is what fashion photography is supposed to do. Right. But there wasn't that certain spark that you get and that connection that you get with with most of Slim's pictures. And I I think he didn't like and this plays into his experience in the war was he didn't like the artificiality of it. You know, I mean, he was really looking for real life and he wanted to show people uh, where they are uh, and who they are in fashion photography you don't do that I mean it's about essentially role-playing right you're you're creating something uh and that just didn't connect with him or didn't resonate
0: yeah it sounds like it's a bit too artificial for yeah. him to do that when he's so used to you know again you know just being quite org- I'm getting a sense that he's quite an organic you know photographer and he goes around and it's and it's what f- and feeling becomes really important but when he, when you he sort of bringing the stylists and the lighting and the model and, and try to do all that. It just probably, probably not for him by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah. It's not as from the gut, I think, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's a photograph of Ursula Andrus from 1955 that he photographed her in Rome. And of course, Ursula Andrus, you know, the famous Bond girl. And, uh, but that wasn't until 62 in 1955, she was a student, she was a university student in Switzerland, and she was just on holiday with some friends in Rome. And Slim saw her and said, oh, can I take your picture? Just because he recognized something that she had a spark, you know, there was something about her and he took some photographs of her. And then, you know, so now you see me like, oh, it's Ursula Andrus. But then you look at the year and you think, well, you know, she wasn't doing anything in 55 that she would have been famous for, you know, but it was him just seeing her with her friends. And saying, oh, this is a person that that is something, you know, that has that certain spark uh, and that star quality. And so he made some pictures of her that, you know, for holiday. And then, of course, a few years later, she becomes incredibly famous. So it's, you know, I mean, he, like I said, he trusted his gut. So you said something earlier about fashion
0: and how he's taking the pictures of societal events, if you like. They're wearing their own, th- their own clothes and then that becomes the fashion. Did he have a big influence in terms of, did his work have an influence into how fashion developed? And is there like a legacy of Slim Aaron's that we can look back on
1: today in terms of the world of of fashion? It was very delayed. (laughs) So I would say that his influence in the fashion world really happened sort of in the 90s. Uh, You know, Slim released a book uh, called A Wonderful Time Um, He still worked with a publisher and released a book in 1974 that fell completely flat. I mean, it was basically a commercial failure because at the time, you know, these are the Nixon years uh, in the U.S., the the oil crisis, you know, heavy uh, stagflation, the economy wasn't so great. So all of a sudden putting out pictures of, you know, the upper class from the 50s seemed almost insulting, you know, to come out at that point. And so but then that book in the 90s, all of a sudden, 20 years later, you know, it's a little different situation. And all of a sudden, these pictures became a window back to this certain time in American history. Right. And there was a little bit more gloss on it. And some of the bad feelings of the 70s were, were long in the in the rearview mirror. And so magazines like Vogue and fashion photographers like Steven Mizell. And then you had fashion designers like Michael Kors and uh, Paul Smith that all of a sudden really started looking at Slim's pictures because they represented a certain type of American culture, right? That they were all trying to emulate and capitalize on. I mean, Ralph Lauren, I mean, a lot of his line could be based on Slim, you know, I mean... Um, so you look at the way that, that Ralph Lauren styles a lot of his work, especially in the 90s, um, and just, you know, is copying the the looks that people are wearing in Slim's polo pictures. So he had this very delayed sort of response. He was still alive and, and thought it quite funny and, and you know, he I mean, had a chuckle uh, at it. But I mean, you can even see some of the fashion advertising that happened in the early 2000s are directly riffing on Slim's pictures. So that was sort of the influences that, not so much about the fashion itself, but it's more about the way that it evokes a particular time and era in American culture.
0: Did he ever comment on that? Did, you know, did he have more than a chuckle? Was it, was it like, did he ever, was he ever surprised by the impact that that had had so, so late on after this sort of main body of work had been created?
1: Well, I mean, he would sort of play coy and say, I don't, I don't understand it. You know, I don't, I don't really get it. And he'd say like, ah, you know, his favorite expression, he used to always say, oh, it's all bullshit. You know, I mean, so he's like, you know, I mean, so he was very much sort of downplaying it, but I, I think that he was actually, secretly pretty happy uh that the work was being you know recognized again for for a whole new generation so and it's even happening now 90s and early 20, 2000s that was 20 years ago right yeah. so you had this whole other thing that happened again in the last few years which i think you can tie directly to social media and to instagram i mean slim was making instagram pictures before well before there was even instagram right mm-hmm. and so um Heavy color saturation and the tones that he uses, and this sort of this lifestyle that so many people want to sort of emulate, especially uh, on social media. So it perfectly aligns with with sort of the look that that people are going for.
0: Do you have any? I mean, you know his work really, really well. Do you, I mean, do you have any particular things that you enjoy most about his work? Is there anything that you always go back to and you think, yeah, this is you really enjoy looking at? Or you really, you really enjoy just exploring as part of
1: his work. I love. I mean, I'm lucky in that I get to look at his archive, right? So, uh, people see one picture, but I, I'm looking at the film. So I'm looking at all the pictures that he that he shot, right? So I can see. Uh, whether it's black and white as a contact sheet or looking at the slides and sort of recreating, but you can see his process of working in almost the way that he approaches things. And he's working out different angles and playing with the lighting and, you know, trying uh, different approaches and and things like that. So it's kind of fun to see him actually working through the problems of how you create a picture. And then that moment when he captures it, you know, when he really sort of nails it and, and gets it right. So i always enjoy that process of of looking through things
0: is it like you're getting into his mind it's like the thought process
1: yeah yeah i mean it's it's you you see the photographer at work right and and you understand how his approach was and when does he stop shooting you're right i mean when does he stop taking pictures because obviously in his mind he felt like he got it right so i mean it's like did he you know so that part i really enjoy
0: Sean, uh, I think we'll we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us on Art Related Noise. And you can see loads of Slim Aaron's work in the Enter Gallery in Brighton. Loads of great uh, images there. And thanks for joining us. Thank you so much.